Welcome, and thank you for joining us today for the teaching and preaching ministry from Central Baptist Church, Kannapolis, North Carolina. As senior pastor, Dean Hunter shares from the Bible how to live in a fallen world. The goal of Central Baptist Church is to change the world by teaching the Word of God. Come, let's listen in. He is a father to the fatherless, and... um, what a tragedy in this world today. I think about this often when I think about what I consider a pandemic of fatherlessness in America. I think about how many kids have no idea, they have no perception, they've never had a taste of the love of an earthly father, and they can in no way even fathom the love of our heavenly father. At our weakest Men, we need to try our best to show our kids and our grandkids unconditional love so that when a preacher or a Sunday school teacher or a wanna worker or kids camp leader tells them about the love of God, they at least understand what it means to be loved unconditionally, forgiving as our Heavenly Father does, patient as He is. The Bible tells us it is the patience the goodness of God, the long-suffering of God that leads a man to repentance. It's not good hellfire and brimstone preaching that leads a man to repentance. It might help God in our feeble attempts, but it's the goodness of God. Once a person sees creator and sustainer, omniscient, sovereign God who willingly loved you unconditionally, Only then can you understand his grace and his mercy. Today, we're going to be in Jeremiah chapter 5. If you've been here a while, that's probably not a surprise that we're in Jeremiah. But what is very interesting, and I don't think there are many, if any, coincidences, that today I'm going to read and preach one verse, which may or may not mean anything in in the realm of time. But in Jeremiah chapter 5, which is where we're at in our study of the book of Jeremiah. Conveniently enough, in God's timing, God reminds us of the type of man he is looking for. I didn't plan it that way. I'd like to take credit for planning it that way, but I didn't. We've been in Jeremiah chapters 1 through 4 over the last, it feels like, four years. I think it's been about six weeks. And what we have seen, if you've been here, is we are learning if we didn't already know, or maybe we're being reminded uh, about God's love, God's patience, but yet God's judgment. God is, church, God is still a holy God. God still in his sinlessness does not and cannot tolerate sin. You can try to flesh out and Sunday school teach the Old Testament judgment of God into the New Testament, and you can weasel your way out of God's judgment and recompense for sin if you want to. But he is still a God who turns his back on sin. And he will not allow for long a professing Christian who claims God is your father, he will not allow but so long for you to live a life of sin Gross negligence, hypocrisy, idolatry toward him. We have 
tried to soften, puree, if you will, the message in the 21st century that God is just a God of love and peace, and he's the little Jesus with his sheep lying down with children sitting on his lap. Jesus is God. God is still in control. God is still holy. And he doesn't take lightly his relationships. If we've learned anything, we've learned in six weeks that God takes his relationships seriously. He has said, it's still in the Bible, thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make any graven images. He repeats quickly in the first two of the 10 great commandments, my relationship is serious with you. If we've learned anything, we've learned that in the book of Jeremiah. If we've learned anything outside of that, what I have learned is God is patient. I know it's Father's Day. I know what time it is. I know everything I need to know. If you're sitting in this church today, and I'm just going to sound, just going to sound mad like an old mean crouchy preacher. And if you want to, it's been a long week. It's been a long weekend. Don't feel good. My throat feels like sandpaper. It's just not a good day, but I'm not mad at you. So you can either get on with it and help me out. But if you're in this room today and you claim to be a child of God and you have a relationship with you and I get up and I say, and you don't have to amen and shout. I'm not an amen and shouter. I know some of you think I'm a lot less spiritual than I should be because I don't shout. Well, if I was a shouter, I probably wouldn't this morning because my throat hurts really bad. <laughs> but if I can say, if we've learned anything about God in Jeremiah, and if you're 20 years old or 220 years old, and I say, if we've learned anything about God, we've learned that he is patient toward us. Somebody ought to at least grunt or, or wiggle. The fact that we're here today, the fact that we have access to continued faithful forgiveness. If I confess my sin, he's faithful and just to forgive me and cleanse me from all unrighteousness is evidence that you're here sitting in this room is evidence that God is patient and he's long-suffering and he loves you and he's merciful to you. He extended mercy to you when you didn't deserve it and I surely didn't deserve it. He extended grace to me and grace to you for by grace are you saved through faith. Nothing you did, not the most spiritual, Pope-like person in here ever did anything to earn God's grace. So surely we can at least be uncomfortable with the fact that God has been gracious and faithful and patient toward us. We see that even before the judgment of God about to fall on Judah in the book of Jeremiah. We, a couple weeks ago, and I'm, I'm going to preach, we're going to read and all that stuff. It'll happen. Those of you who are uncomfortable with not being to protocol right now, it'll happen. We have learned that God will judge Judah. We have learned that he offered unto them a second chance. We've gotten through four chapters. Things are heating up. Last week we talked about and we saw evidence of Judah's imminent destruction. Babylon's there, you're here, it's coming. 
because of your rebellion against God's word and your continued, I'm going to use not King James words, I'm just going to say idolatry, your continued cheating on God. He uses some pretty harsh words because he takes it serious. Then we get to chapter five. Last week, and I, I know it's, it's choppy, Jeremiah's choppy, I talked about that last week. But last week, if you were following along on you know, the History Channel, it was like, oh, next week it's happening. Because it's, it's imminent, destruction's coming. But because God is patient, and because God is merciful, and I don't, I, I don't I'm gonna sound bad, I don't really care what you think to an extent about what I'm about to say, but contrary to what you may think, God does not want to have to judge you. God is not some mad, angry, I'm going to get them, God. Not in my Bible, not even in Jeremiah. And in chapter 5, he does something very similar to Genesis chapter 18 with Abraham when God is about to judge Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, everybody in the Baptist church, the Southern Baptist church, back, yeehaw, we get all excited. Well, you going to preach on Sodom and Gomorrah. Here comes judgment. No, nah, we're not going there. Because Sodom's problem was not just one specific sin. They turned their back on God. They were serving other gods. They got, they got with the Gentile. They got with the unbelievers, and they started doing what they started doing, and it led to rampant idolatry, rampant sin, just like it will happen in your life in the 21st century in June on Father's Day of 2021. So we got all excited about Sodom because I don't have that problem. Well, they had a lot more problems than that one problem you like to think about Sodom about. Judah's in the same boat here. They're about to be destroyed. Sodom was in the same boat. You remember Abraham? You remember Abraham pleading before God? What if we can find 50? Everybody all right with me not standing and reading? Everybody's still good? I don't know what's going to happen. But God says, um, okay, if you can find 50. It's it in Genesis 18. I'm not making this up. 50. I think about it in, in, in Abraham's day. So Sodom's about to be judged for their wickedness. Might as well say it. It might get another grunt or whatever, but don't get excited about it because we've all sinned and fallen short of God's glory. Sodom's problem wasn't just that one sin. Sodom's problem involved that one sin. Their problem, I preached this pretty clearly months and months ago, Sodom's problem was not just the one sin. Sodom's problem was their sin life, their sin, and the fact that they celebrated it and said, hey, this is the way we, we want to be known for this. And I'm not comparing America to Israel. But we cannot avoid the similarities and the parallels. And if he's the same God that doesn't tolerate sin. I'm gonna tell you my fear, my fear. Number one, I'm never going to Burger King again the rest of my life. You wanna Google and research that? That's one thing. They, they not only were pro-gay, but they were also anti-Jesus chicken. They called out Chick-fil-A. And gross, now, there was a, whoa, whoa, no, everybody's going, hey, you gotta take a note, go back and look at it. Don't do it, look at it right now, what they did. But I'm not going back. And I like their chicken sticks or chicken, whatever they are. But I'm not going back. I'll go somewhere else, Chick-fil-A. Every time I pass it, I'm going to turn in there. But <laughs> their problem was they were celebrating their sin. They wanted to be known. When you pass by Sodom and you see the big sign on the interstate, we 
you fill in the blank however you want to say it. I probably said something shouldn't have said right there. But they, they were waving their rainbow flag in Sodom. And they were having Pride Month in Sodom. It's exactly what's happening. That's what they were doing. Read it. I preached it. Go back and find it. It's not just about the sin. It's the fact that they were celebrating it and wanted everybody to know who they are. And they wanted you to accept who they were. We're there. We're there. I'm not saying God's going to rain fire from heaven because of that. No, what I have learned in Scripture is worse judgment than fire from heaven is God removing his hand of blessing from us. I'm more worried about God removing his hand than I am fire falling. I don't want either, just to clear the record. That's where we're at. We cannot read Jeremiah and just neglect any application to our personal lives nor our country life. Can't do it. Chapter five comes. Just like in Abraham's day with Sodom. 50. I think when I read Genesis 18, this is what I, this is what I think happened. Abraham came to a census. Anybody ever spoken too soon? Tried to backtrack? God, I know you're going to do this. I know, I believe you're going to judge Sodom for this. Abraham says, um, what if I can find 50 people? Would you, and the word peradventure is used several times there. But peradventure, I find 50. And um, God's like, all right, find 50. And that is, this is what I see Abraham. Abraham's like, yeah, whoa, whoa, I don't think I can find 50. How about, King James, 50 minus 5. I like how he does it. How about 45? That's what it said. It's there, Genesis 18, if you want to follow along. And God's like, yeah. And immediately, it goes to 40, to 30, to 20, to 10. That, that, it shows how messed up the place was. And if I want to make application today to my life or to this church life or to our community or to our country, you think you could find 50? Hopefully, prayerful, I think we could find 50. Similarly, Jeremiah speaking from God, for God, to God, back and forth, it's all over in Jeremiah. We find chapter five, verse one. So it'll help some of us OCD folks. Do you want to stand as we honor God's word? And read just this one verse. We don't stand because of me. We don't stand because of the church. We don't stand because of tradition necessarily. We stand because this is the word of God. It is worthy. It is high above all. And if you have a copy, you ought to be grateful for it. Jeremiah, God says, verse 1, chapter 5, run you to and fro through the streets of Jerusalem. Jerusalem is the capital. That's where everything happens, right? It's important. We won't teach that. And see now and know and seek in the broad places thereof, King James says, look all over and see, flipped, if you can find a man. If there be any that, two characteristics we're going to talk about today. Find a man, two characteristics. What does it say? If you can find a man, if there be any that executes judgment and seeks the truth, and I will pardon it. We, for four chapters, have really just been ready. Next, next 
turn the page to be continued. Here comes judgment. And God says, if you can find one man, one man who executes judgment, I'm going to qualify what that means in a second, and seeks truth. There is gross negligent sin happening in Judah. They are worshiping other gods. He is the Lord their God, and there shall be no others. They deserve judgment. He made his case about three weeks ago for why they deserve it. And he still says, if you can find one, that word strong, I will pardon it. The it is Jerusalem. The it is Judah. The it is Israel. All of their sin deserve judgment, but if you can find one, I will forgive. I'm going to pray, then I'm going to talk some more. I'm going to ask this before I forget. If this were the case, this is just hypothetical, no scriptures, no chapters, no verse. If, anybody going for you quiet ones today, anybody think America's in a mess? Can you do this? Yeah, do something. What if men, I'm talking to men, love the women, y'all do, we can't live without you. Men, what if? In all of the craziness of America, what if God said, if you could find me one, executes judgment, which means practices justice, I just got ahead of myself, and seeks truth, I forgive it all. Could he find one? Could it be me? Could it be you? Father, thank you for your word. God, teach us today. Help me to not say anything I shouldn't say, but only say your word. God, especially for the men today, I pray that we strive not in our own arrogance, in our own know-how, but with your help, that if you had to find a man like this, you would find it in us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. The kind of man or a man God is looking for. If you'll hold on a second, I got to find out where I should start in my notes. There are two characteristics here that God says, if you can find one, I'll forgive the whole country. That's some pressure, by the way. I'm not saying God is saying that today. I'm saying hypothetically, if he did, could he find one? Could it be you? So what are the two characteristics? By the way, the characteristics, when combined together, they speak of a righteous man. Did y'all hear that? This is important for the punchline later. It speaks of a righteous man. A man who executes judgment is what the King James says. The, the ESV, which is more English standard version, says, does justice. A man who does justice. And you find a man who does justice. This is the first of the two characteristics God is looking for. I don't want to, there's a lot I could say, trust me. As I was studying, I was preparing, I thought, I can't say all that. I know time was going to be crunched already. And this is like six weeks of uh, practical application to America, to any country, especially any country that claims to, to be a godly Christian country, at least at one time in their history, but yet has completely neglected and turned their back on God. This has to be some type of application here. 
And God says through Jeremiah, if I can find a man, find a man, if you can find a man who executes judgment, what does that mean? Practices justice. How applicable, by the way, God's word is alive. That's what it says. It's, it means it's relevant for today. You can open up the Wall Street Journal or the New York Times or the Washington Post and turn to a verse in scripture and there's application to be made. It's alive. It's the same, but it's alive. It's breathing. Whoa, where's he at now? It's what it says. It is. And God, it just reaffirms that God knows what he's doing and he knows what he's talking about. How odd, how ironic, how whatever word is it that the word of the day in America is justice. Let me throw in the adjective or however you want. Social justice. And let me just go on because I'm not going to dwell here because I'll probably get some amen. Then I have some people mad and somehow somebody would say you're in politics. But I'm talking about America. I'm talking about social justice. I'm talking about justice. God does speak about justice. There is a difference. I, there's so much preaching here and so much and my throat really hurts. So whatever. There's so much here. There is a major difference in man's view of so, social justice and God's view of executing justice. This side's a lot more spiritual this morning than this side. So I'll find myself moving over here some. That's a joke. You're all going to heaven. There, boom. God does talk about justice. Justice is throughout the scriptures. And we can have conversations, sidebar conversations about it if you want to. I'd be glad to talk about it. I don't have all the answers. But God's justice is not man's term for social justice. And, and we'll see in a second, maybe who knows what's going to happen. The reason is because man is flawed. Man is sinful. And the brightest, most special, most caring, loving man, men, women, group, organization, committee on the planet could not get together and come up with a social justice message that is not flawed. Because we're flawed. We can try our best. Listen, where we're at, this is where we're at. You can take it for how you want to, but I hope you know me, love me, care for me. Don't think I'm trying to stir something up. Listen, the, the person you see here is the enemy in a lot of social justice uh, messaging today. Now, if I was a little bit wider, I'd probably fit the part more. But a white man in America is, is the enemy in a lot of these social justice reforms today. And I'm not going to go there. I'm just saying, what, what happens is, uh, obviously, there's a lot like you, like me, in here. So it, it, you, it would be easy to take it personal. It'd be easy to get all mad and start, and we can. We shouldn't. We should be governed by the Holy Spirit. And it's hard. It's hard. The only reason if I succeed in it, and I don't all the time, is because I am governed by the Holy Spirit. If I do succeed, it'll be because I'm governed by the Holy Spirit. By governed, I don't mean authority necessarily. I mean like a governor on a car so it doesn't go so fast. Why did, that's just a simple truth that proves that it's flawed. Because I know just as well as you know that not every person that looks like me has the same background raising, all that stuff as me. Somebody that looks like me might have been a whole lot more privileged than somebody that looks like me. You know what I'm saying? We're not all there. There is some truth 
to some of the justice message, if we're all honest. But what we have to understand is that man's determination of social justice will never be God's because man is sinful. As much as we want to be unbiased in every opinion in life, that's pretty hard. If we're honest, why is that hard? Because we're sinful. But I'm going to tell you my unbiased opinion. I usually just go, turn off, no matter who it is. You can't. If I say it, I can't. What do you say when you get an argument? We need to find an unbiased person. But God says, he's looking for a man. Listen, this is where the reality comes in. He says, I'm looking for a man who practices justice. Now, if you read it really quick and you don't study it, you might find some ammunition that's not there. Well, God's called me to execute judgment. He's looking for a man to execute judgment. Well, God is judge, and he's the only righteous judge. Much as you know and like, and know, but we, we can't do it. So he sends someone who practices justice. The word justice there means a proper verdict. It really, in its uh, original Hebrew, means divine law. Listen, I can't be a judge in a divine courtroom. There's only one judge in God's courtroom, and it's him. I've got great opinions. But I can't be the judge. So God's not saying he's looking for a bunch of, you know, clean-cut, suit-wearing I have to stop. See, I'm governed by the Holy Spirit. He's not looking for that person to come up and judge everyone. I'll give you an example. We saw it this week, this past week in Nashville. Um, this really happened. Our staff went to Nashville to the Southern Baptist Convention. Have any questions about it? I didn't come prepared to give you a, a synopsis, but we'll answer. I'll answer anything. Right? Email, text, whatever. Send it uh, in the mail, and we'll respond. I did, I'd say that not sarcastically. I had a pastor that I met Friday morning at the prayer thing for the police, and he said, my church wants a, a summary on Sunday morning, so I'm trying to figure out how to, be, how to do that because it was Father's Day and he already had a message preached. And they said, well, we want to hear what happened. It's probably one person that read a New York Times article and was like, does that really, you need to tell us what happened. But I'll be glad to talk about it. It was important to go. So we're at the Southern Baptist Convention, the most spiritual Christians in the world. <laughs> it is the largest cooperative program missions organization in the world. By the way, synopsis, what, what's Southern Baptist Convention? What's it supposed to be? It's a, a missions organization. We put our money together, and we, we, get, we got thousands of missionaries all over the world. And um, we also support other missionaries here. If you're new to our church, we're a Southern Baptist church, but we support independent missionaries as well, which I believe we should. And um, we'll do more and more as the day approaches. So we're at the Southern Baptist Convention in the good old wholesome city of Nashville, Tennessee. We're at the Music City Center. Most of us look decent, like we, most of the 16,000 messengers who registered to cast their vote for different things. So we look clean cut. Not many of them look too hoboish. And we're, we're walking in. And there are street preachers outside the Music City Center with signs for us Baptists, for us Southern Baptists. 
And I'm going somewhere with this. The signs were entertaining, some. Um, a couple of people said, why are they out there preaching to us for? We know everything. We're doing it right. No, no that's not what. Why, why, why not? It's the same kind of people, the same kind of signs you see at like uh, outside of Bank of America Stadium for a football game. Abortion sin. Amen. We, oh, um, quit killing babies. We're trying not to. But, but here's what I heard. So they got their, their preaching speakers. Hey, everybody. Hey, you Southern Baptist. Like, what are they trying to say? And I, I witnessed a sermon from one of them. I'm going somewhere. Everybody are. They were reading from the Word of God saying that we should be judging, that we have the right to judge the nations. And what they were doing, they were criticizing the Southern Baptist Convention for not judging people and reading portions of Scripture saying, you should be judging these leaders and this and this and this and this. By the way, everybody figured out we're all sinful. There's none righteous, no, not one. Even in a group of Southern Baptists, somebody's messed up. Even in leadership, somebody's messed up. Don't let, listen, this is just good application. Don't let one person's stupidity, one person's failure, one person's sin affect the whole group. Nobody in here wants to be painted with the broad brush because one other Christian somewhere on the planet did something stupid, so all Christians are stupid. We, we just own it. We've all messed up. So they're out there preaching. They're literally, they didn't know I was going to preach this this week. They're preaching, you you ought to be judging these people. God has given us the power to judge in their reading verses. That's not what the Word of God says. There is only one righteous judge. Now, should we speak into issues? Absolutely. Should we stand up for things that are right? Absolutely. If somebody's in trouble in leadership and they mess up, should they be held accountable? Absolutely. We all do that. We all common sense know that. But we don't say the whole group of them is going to hell because of one person's stupidity. We certainly don't go out there and preach to preachers and say, y'all ought to be judging people. What do they want? They want us to go back to stone throwing days? God says, look, I'm looking for a man who executes, who practices justice. That means a man that has uh, the wisdom, the discernment to know what God expects. That's very elementary. That probably doesn't even do justice for what God is really saying, but I hope it makes a point. What does it mean to practice divine law? If God is divine law and his word is divine law and he is the divine judge, what does it mean to practice justice? It pra it, it's very applicable to all of us here today. If we just want to be honest, we're all confronted with issues of justice all the time. I, I mean, and I'm trying not to be oversimplify this, but uh, I, I didn't have to live very long to realize not everything in life is fair. Equal's not always equal. We're, the biggest discussion in public schools today that's going from there or one, I don't know where it started coming, is equity. Equity is not equality. That's a mouthful. Yeah. It's a slogan. Put it on a banner. Everything's, you know, equity. And I'm not, I'm not discounting equity, but when man comes up with and devises a, an algorithm to practice equity, it's going to be flawed because man did it. 
And if this group of people that feels like they don't, that they're experiencing inequity, decides to have a committee meeting and come up with a formula to promote equity, guess what? It's gonna be messed up. What do we do? We live with it. We live with the understanding that sin has permeated the planet and it's all messed up. But how do we practice justice? We practice justice because we know the judge. We know the law book. So what do we do? We treat, this is really Sunday schoolish already, we treat people the way God would treat people. God is judge. How does God treat people? How does God see people? Find a man who practices justice. What does it mean? I, very simply, what's the greatest commandment? Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And what? Love your best friend as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. And if you're one of the lawyer Pharisees that want to trick God, and you say, well, just tell me, Jesus, who is my neighbor? Here's, what the, here's the answer you'll get. The good Samaritan. That was his answer to who my neighbor is. The person that everybody thought they had a right to hate. Oh, it's getting real. <laughs> I didn't know it was going to go this direction. We all mess up. We've all sinned. We all say things we regret. But we shouldn't. And we got to stop. Because God says he's looking for a man who practices justice. Not a man who throws around his opinions as if he is God. As if he is the judge. And you're looking at me and I'm feeling it. I have to stand convicted at this many times. And if you're honest with yourself, you find yourself in the same boat. Love people the way God loves people. Forgive people the way God forgives people. Oh, that was a, that's a toughie. You shouldn't have brought that up on Father's Day. We're about to go celebrate. How, why? Why would I do that? Because God did that. Well, why do you do it? Because I'm one of God's. Because I know the law, and I know the judge, and I know how to execute justice. Because I've experienced it. Listen, listen, this is going way over, and I know... Listen, the only way I can execute, the only way I can ever come close to practicing forgiveness the way God does is by experiencing the forgiveness that God gives. If you're having trouble, and I mean this, I, I, I know about everybody in here. There's a good number of visitors. I don't know you well. I'd love to meet you after if you want to. But I know a lot of people in here. I know a lot of people's situations. Listen, guess what I know most? I know my situation. I know my situation's better than any of you think you know it. I struggle with forgiveness? Absolutely. Did I struggle with it? Absolutely. Am I going to struggle with it? Absolutely. You know why? Because I am not perfect. But something I had learned, I learned a long time ago. I learned the hard way. I learned because it was preached to me. I learned because of God's word. And I learned by failure. It matters. And you must listen, church, from the oldest one in here that I respect above all, to the youngest one that's not paying attention. You must, as a Christian, learn to forgive. It will kill you. It will rise up biblically. It has been spoken. It will cause bitterness that is uncontrollable in your life. It will cause anger that you cannot put out if you don't learn to forgive. God had no reason to forgive me. 
other than his love and his desire to offer it. He's God. He did it. And when I received forgiveness and I understood, listen, listen, from the youngest to the oldest, this is, you got to pay attention, please. The older you get, the more you understand how much God forgave you. The more you grow, the more you understand, oh, I didn't deserve forgiveness. The more we understand I'm forgiven, not just that day I got saved, but I'm forgiven every day. Then I learned to forgive somebody else. Well, I'm not going to forgive them until they ask for it. That is not how God forgives. You may, I'm talking to somebody or some people, you may never in your lifetime have that person or those people ask you for forgiveness. You're going to live your life in bitterness and in bondage because you won't forgive because they didn't ask? God told us to forgive as he forgave. God told us to love as he loved. Something that I was going through this, and as this kind of, I chuckled when I wrote it, because we don't hear it anymore, and it sounds like Sunday school. And, and I'm, I'm, everybody with me, we're all, if you're hurting right now, I'm hurting too. Like, I'm feeling this. Everybody ever remember what the golden rule is? Well, I've heard about it. Isn't that some kind of cola? No. <laughs> the golden rule says, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. That, that's it. that was in our daily bread. That wasn't in the Bible. No, it's there. It's there. Which is probably why I did it up in our daily bread. Matthew 7, 12. Therefore, all things whatsoever you would that men you want, you wish, you hope that they do to you, do even so to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Whoa, law language, judge language, justice language, it's right there. Now, I know, I know, I'm there. Well, they don't treat me like that. That's what makes us different. That's what should make us different. That's what made God different. That's what still makes God different. God doesn't say, well, once you start loving on me and showing me, then I'll come forgive you. No, God loved the world while we were yet sinners. Christ died for us. He didn't wait till we got right. You can visit our church for a while. You can look like that for a while. But once you start cleaning up and looking like us, then we'll start to associate with you. That's not what God did. He didn't wait on you to get cleaned up to come to him. He came to you in your sin, in my sin, on my way to hell, and loved me in spite of me. God said, I'm looking for a man who executes justice real quick, and I'm looking for a man who seeks the truth. What is the truth? In a world where there is no truth, in a world of relativism where nobody knows the truth, in John chapter 17, Jesus is praying his high priestly prayer in the garden. This is where his blood, his sweat turned to drops of blood. He's praying for us. He's praying for his disciples. He's praying for himself. He's praying to God. And he starts to direct his attention toward the disciples. And he even includes those of us who would come behind. And in John chapter 17, verse 17, he says, sanctify them, separate them by thy truth. Thy word is truth. 
What is truth? Truth is not what you read in the newspaper. If you haven't figured it out yet, I'm going to break, break the news. It's not everything you read on Facebook. Yeah, but this one was from a real... You see where we've gotten in our, in our culture? Where we have to qualify where we got our news. Most of us, I'm a little secret, most of us who get our news from Facebook have learned to not say anymore, I saw this on Facebook. <laughs> My first response when I hear something kind of funny is, did you get that on Facebook? Because they're like, well, I'm not going to say that. Well, well, I did, but it was from a real news source that the Russians typed in. He's looking for a man who seeks the truth. Not just knowing the truth, but someone who seeks the truth. Listen, church, we're talking about God pardoning, God forgiving. And I, and I think there's a lot of application. The truth doesn't just come from what we've heard somewhere. If, there, if God's word speaks to every issue and every thing that we deal with in life, let's, let's, let's all agree. Let's not jump to conclusions too quick when we don't know the truth. If there's a problem that comes up, let's seek the truth. Dads, it is Father's Day, I still remember. Dads, let's know the truth. So when when little son comes up and says, why I got to do that? Because God said it. They can't come back. Now, I know one that can come back to anything you say, but they they don't have a comeback to God said it. Mine will still come back, but I'll still say God said it. Know the truth. Seek the truth. Dad, that's crazy. Why do you make those rules? Because God said it. Everybody's looking for husbands and wives, and the young ones are thinking they're supposed to be dating, and they're too young to get date and too young to marry and all that stuff. And you know, I can say that now. I'm old enough. But it's not, it shouldn't be earth-shattering news to your child or your grandchild to hear from your lips, dad, mom, grandma, grandpa, you don't have any reason dating that guy. He's lost as a goose. You shouldn't date him. Why? The Bible says don't be unequally yoked. That's it. End of story. Seek the truth. Know the truth. What does God say about this situation? Well, I already know it, so I'm going to tell you. Son, this is what God says. If somebody comes up, friend, family, co-worker, you know what? I don't know the answer, but I'm going to seek the truth. And then when I come, I'm not just going to give you hot air to something I devised. It's something God said. He's looking for a man who seeks the truth. You can't seek the truth until you know the truth. And Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. You know the truth, you'll seek the truth. A person who doesn't know Jesus or his word cannot practice justice. They go hand in hand. A man who practices justice and a man who seeks the truth. A man who doesn't seek the truth cannot practice justice. They go hand in hand. The world's interpretation of justice is flawed because the world doesn't put trust in the truth. Y'all didn't appreciate that? I know it had to get over 12. Yep, that's it. The stuff we read, the opinions we read, the opinions we hear from flawed people, it's because they don't know the truth. Listen, as, as, as the day approaches, to use a biblical phrase, we'll start, if you haven't already, we'll start to see who knows the truth. 
more and more. It's happening. It's happening every day. As the world gets crazier, as the world gets more carnal, as the world gets more idolatrous, we have choices. I think it's interesting. Man, I really feel better than I thought. But as, um, as it gets closer to the day when Jesus returns, and I believe he's going to return, I believe there is coming a day. We need to be getting ready. We need to make sure our family's ready. But as he gets closer to his return, more and more we're seeing and witnessing those who practice truth. It's distinguishing between those who don't and those who do. In the Old Testament, in Judah, in Sodom, and many of these occasions, what happened was this. I hope, you're, I hope you got a few more attention minutes in you. And I hope you agree with this, and then you'll share this, because I believe it's truth. What happened is, God's people, y'all with me? They would move, he'd bless them, go to this land, go to this land, this blah, blah. And everywhere they go, they were usually carnal, ungodly countries, people around them. And they were often influenced by those other pagan countries, pagan lands. Y'all with me? Like, man, they look like they, yeah, can we do that, God? We'd like a king like them, God. And God gives them a good godly king. No, we want a king like that. What's happened in America, it has changed. It's changed in our lifetime. The world is coming here. The world has come here. I have some, some guesses as to why they want to come here. Probably because it's the greatest country on the planet. But the world and those pagans coming into a country that was founded on God has begun, has begun, not just yesterday, to affect the believers that were here. They're bringing their cultures, they're bringing their religions, they're bringing their craziness, they're bringing their idolatry, and then we are in the middle. Our kids are in the middle, in the school classroom. You're in the middle at your cubicle at work, and you are surrounded, if not immersed, in pagan culture. Now, more than ever, those who seek the truth, know the truth, are starting to separate themselves. Not anything physically they had to do, but you can see it. And the lines are clearly drawn. The lines should be clearly drawn that you are not that. That you do not believe that. And here, just for, the, just for the fun of it, I'm all right with not being that. And I'm all right if they're all right with me not being that. But I'm not all right with them wanting me to be that or forcing me to approve of that. That's the grind that's happening in America. You can do what you want to do. I can do what I want to do. But you're not going to force me to do that or to accept that. Now, how are we going to distinguish between those? Well, it's all right. It's all right. That's not somebody seeking the truth. It's not all right. That's somebody seeking the truth. I love you. 
You can live that way if you want to. I wish you wouldn't. I'm going to tell you the truth. I'm going to preach the truth. I'm going to live the truth. You can live that way if you want to. And you're going to know I love you. You're going to know I don't approve of your lifestyle, but I approve of you. I like, we can get along. Not, you must do this. Parents, Deuteronomy chapter 6, we have the Jewish Shema. You know what that is? Hear, O Israel, the Lord is the Lord our God, He is one God, and you shall teach them when, when they walk, when they wise, when they lay, when, teach them diligently unto their children. We have a, we have a job to teach them. The reality is that there is no man, listen, there is no man that is righteous. No, not one. Those two characteristics, someone who seeks the truth and someone who practices justice, together what God is saying is, find me a righteous man. As far as the world is concerned, there are no righteous. No, not one. How does this apply to our life today? There is only one righteous. God himself, his son, his perfect son, Jesus. It's a picture. Here's here's what we're saying. Here's what God is saying to us. Forget the America, forget the Israel. Here's what God is saying to the world. You can't find a righteous man. There is none righteous, no, not one. But God provided a righteous man, a sinless Savior who took on the judgment of the world. And only by him taking on that judgment can the end of verse 5 happen. If you find one, I'll pardon the whole crowd. I'll forgive the whole crowd. What God did was God established the fact to the world that there is none righteous. There is no righteous one that, can, that I can find to pardon. So I sent my son, the righteous one. And I allowed him to succumb to the punishment, the demand for sin's payment. And if you place your faith and trust in his penalty, his death, his taking upon the sin of the world, then I will forgive you. No one's justice enough. No one's righteous enough to obtain forgiveness. Only Jesus, the perfect son of God. God makes it clear, even in Jeremiah, that there's none righteous. And guess what? When there is no righteous, and when there is no one to believe in for righteousness, there is judgment. It's gonna happen. The world is gonna be judged. And those who have placed their faith in Jesus will not receive that judgment because he already took it. But those who do not will face judgment. Would you stand with me? I'm not going to have a long, elaborate invitation. Matter of fact, I just want you to do business with God. I'm going I'm to suggest something. One of, in my opinion, one of the most, and this is fathers, this is conclusion. We're not going to sing. You can play if you want to, but I want you to listen to this. this is, I read this passage. I preached it, a passage around it years ago, and this verse comes to my mind almost every Father's Day, to be quite honest with you. 
We matter. Men, you matter. This is in Joshua. I'm not going to preach again. Relax. This is in Joshua chapter 2. Joshua dies. Joshua was a man of God. He was a leader. He followed God. He accomplished a lot with God's help for the nation, for his family. The people served the Lord all the days of Joshua, Joshua 2, 7, and all the days of the elders that outlived Joshua who had seen all the great works of the Lord that he did for Israel. And Joshua died being 110 years old. They buried him and his inheritance in the Mount of Ephraim on the north side of the hill Gash. And also, listen, verse 10, that generation were gathered unto their fathers and there arose. In other words, Joshua died and the generation of Joshua died. Verse 10, if you take notes, phone, mental, whatever, men, don't forget this verse, Joshua 2.10. And also that generation were gathered unto their fathers and there arose another generation, generation after them which knew not the Lord nor yet the works which he had done for Israel. I studied that passage years ago, preached on it, and it gripped me. Joshua was a man of God. He died. The whole generation died. Church, generations are dying. A lot of you around here that have lost your dad, they were part of a different generation. We miss a lot of those from the other generation. Joshua died. That generation died. And the Bible says explicitly in, jo in Joshua 2.10 that there rose up another generation behind them that didn't know God. The question in big, bold letters to me was, how did that happen? How did a whole generation miss it? There were no leaders like Joshua. There were no men like Joshua. And it affected a whole generation. I cannot look at America and honestly say, we haven't experienced this in America. We're losing generations of faithful men, faithful grandparents, that World War II generation, those who loved God and loved their country. Something happened to the generation after them. You can fill in the blanks for what happened, but we're reaping the results of a generation that knew not God. I feel compelled to make a difference in my generation. And I trust you do. I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask men especially, families, grandpas, to just, while I pray and while we close out this service, to call on God. You can't do, I can't do what he wants me to do without him. I can do I feel like I can do a whole lot without him, but I can't do what's worth it without him. If you're struggling being the man God wants, being a man that seeks truth, being a man that practices God's justice, living a life that God would be pleased with, call on him. Be honest enough with God to say, God, I messed up. He's faithful to forgive, cleanse, renew, empower. What a, what a sad situation that there'd be a 30-year-old dad thinking he's messed up so bad the rest of his life's got to be messed up. 40-year-old, almost 50-year-old, 
Oh, I done messed up too much now. I didn't ruin my family, ruin my kids. No, 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 that's a lie from the devil himself. You're a 30 year old man, 40 year old man, you got grandkids and you messed up. Here's what God would have you to do. Don't have a verse for it. Acknowledge it to him, confess to him, repent to him, ask for his forgiveness. Ask him to empower you to be the type of man you ought to be, the man that God says you ought to be. And then go to that son, go to that grandson, go to that daughter, go to that granddaughter and be a man about it and say, I've messed up, I've not followed what God wanted. Will you please forgive me? I'm gonna do my best to do what I'm supposed to do. That's what God would be pleased with. That's not what Satan would be pleased with. Do business with God. I'm gonna pray and you can go home. Um, I've kept you long enough where the Methodists will be walking out. You can walk right into a table. But don't let today go by, men, without letting God do something in your life. Maybe it's you don't know him. Maybe you're not being the man because you don't have a relationship with him. The gospel is clear. I preached it. Whoever calls on him shall be saved. You can do that. I promise you, if you've been trying to do it without him, that's why you're failing. Father, thank you for your word. God, I thank you personally for the men in this room who have been faithful to you, who are being faithful to you. God, as I remind men and remind myself often, there are kids looking at us. There are young boys looking at us. God, convict our hearts to be the type of man you desire. The type of man that a little boy could look up to. The type of man that a teenage boy says, I want to be like that when I grow up. God, Help us to be men of faith who seek your truth and who practice justice by loving our neighbor, loving our family, loving people the way you do, treating people the way you do. God, I'll be the first to say I can't do it without your help. In my own strength, I will not love people the way you love people. But with your power, and the Holy Spirit is my help. I can, and I should. And I pray that you raise up a generation of men, starting right here in this church, no doubt other churches, good churches around us, that will try to impact and change our families, change our community, and maybe eventually change the trajectory of our country. Thank you for listening today. If you'd like to know more about Central Baptist Church, events, and ministries, please visit our webpage at cbckannapolis.com.